Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. I am your host today, SBJ, and with me today, as always, is Alan. <laughs> it's the Halloween episode! And uh, Sean. Hi, it's the Halloween episode. All right, good start. <laughs> uh, I almost called this the other podcast I do, so uh, I'm still getting used to that. It's weird. Uh, we are all together after... Various Skype issues. We are here. Ah, 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 ah. I'm here too, and I'm gonna curse you all. It's time to play the curse of the worst. See if you can avoid saying these words during this podcast. If you say it, or if our listeners catch you saying it, you're out. I've randomly, totally randomly determined these curse words. For instance, SBJ, you, I hear, have a fear of clowns. Therefore, you must not ever say the word it. See if you can make this podcast without saying the word it. <laughs> Sean, you're cast too. See if you can make this podcast without saying the word game. Game. Good luck considering it's a podcast about games. <laughs> and Alan, you've been cast too. The cast of the worst. Alan, you must try to make this entire podcast without saying the word indulgence. Yeah! Whoa. <laughs> That's not fair at all. <laughs> well, that was weird, but cool. Let's see if we can do it. All right. Yeah, I guess we got to do it. Weird cursed person. I assume it was a witch. Well, there's a lot of things that were like both cringeworthy and impressive with that. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Wait, what are we so Oh, let's start off with Table Talk. Okay, so if you are a new listener <laughs> to the Tuesday Night Podcast, we are a podcast about board gamings and tabletop games and card games and dice games and uh, strip poker. And we are uh, going to start off with Table Talk, which is what we've been playing for the week. Does anyone want to start? It's a time for a Table Talk. Alan, you usually always have something. All right, yeah, I definitely do have something, and I think I know which one I'm going to focus on. This past week, I have played, but not limited to, Wooey, World Championship Russian Roulette, uh, Mysterium, yes, which is what I probably want to talk about, unless you guys want to talk about something else. Uh, definitely played some more Jackbox TV with Quiplash and Bombcore. Got to play the amazing game Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, which, again, isn't technically a tabletop game. But also the game Knock Your Blocks Off, which is from Game Right Games, which is pretty good. Um, and I also played some Spyfall this weekend. Oh, and Camel Up. But I figured since it's oh, Halloween, yeah. if you guys want me to talk about one, I should probably talk about Mysterium since it's spooky. Really? You don't think Camel Up is more of a Halloween game? It is true. Camels are pretty Halloween traditional. They're very spooky. It's, yeah. Yeah, it is spooky. Spooky. Uh, but yeah, that's what I played. All right. Well, I'd let's love hear to about, talk about Mysterium. Yeah, let's hear about Mysterium. Should we do this official and try the elevator pitch? See if I can do it in a minute? Yeah, I think so. All right. Uh, someone give me the tone indicating that you've just got on the elevator with me. and I only have a maximum of a minute to go. All right. I could put like the little audio like 
like ding of an elevator in. Oh, ding. sweet. Oh, uh, was that it? Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, congratulations. You are psychic. Yes. In fact, all of you and up to your eight friends, but realistically can be like 20 friends could be a psychic in this game of Mysterium. Unfortunately, you've been hired to solve a mystery. That's right, there's been a murder. You gotta figure out who, what, when, where. And the only way you can figure that out is by getting these ambiguous dreams as indicated by these cards. So in this game of Mysterium, it's kind of like Dixit meets Clue, but it's completely cooperative. Every single paranormal investigator, psychic, whatever you wanna call them, are getting these ambiguous dreams to first figure out what weapon was used, uh, what location it happened in, and exactly who was the murderer. But every investigator has someone different, and at the end of the game, everybody has to figure out exactly which psychic is thinking of the correct murderer. Uh, and that is the game, and so you have one player that's the ghost, and the other players, which are the private investigators. Ding. Ah, yes! <laughs> I got that. How'd that sound? Did that make sense? That sounded good. Okay, cool. I think I summed it up on the uh, Board With Life podcast with saying that it's Dixit, Dixit plus Clue, but more of a game than both of them. Yeah, I could say that. I mean, that's kind of a knock to both Dixit and Clue at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a good game. Uh, not without its faults, but I think also its compliments. So uh, it was a really good time. We played it with uh, 12 people because even though you each play a private, uh, you know, paranormal, psychic, whatever, you, a medium, I guess would be the appropriate term. It's Halloween, so I should probably get that right. But each medium, you can talk to each other if you want to. Like, I think it's this, I think it's, no, I think it's this one. You can really talk to each other. So it's wholly cooperative. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say the whole, the whole game is cooperative. So even though that one player is the ghost or the, is it a ghost? Is it a psychic? I think it's, it's a ghost. ghost. The ghost, ghost is giving you dreams. Right. So that even though that player is like provide is asymmetrical, so they're doing something totally different than the other six people or however many people, everyone's still working together to complete the the puzzle. To it be definitely complete. is one of those um thematic type games that I really love, in that to me it does feel like, you know, just because the art and the components and, and the mechanics and gameplay like that you are getting messages from someone who can only communicate to you in a very strange abstract way and i think it gets that across really well i think the funny thing is is how abstract the dreams cards actually are because they're so weird that you can totally be off i had one teammate say all right well apparently i'm having a dream about a woman wearing a dress who's about to punch a teddy bear and there's a stick in the background and there's force in Disney movies and there's specifically really spooky force in Cinderella. Therefore, I think the weapon's a clock because there's also the clock from Beauty and the Beast. Like, what the crap? So Sounds not like only you're the... playing with a bad player. <laughs> Sorry, Diane. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was good, though. It was fun. It's one of those games where I'm curious because you were saying you could play with however many players. Um, but in games like that or like code names, I wonder if the more players you play with, the harder it gets because it's one of those games where you can find a reason to back up your theory anywhere if you dig deep enough. But usually it's somebody saying, this is the most apparent thing that comes across to me in this card and somebody else is trying to make a connection with them, right? Like, oh, it's blue. You just go with your gut. But the more you analyze and the more you break it down, I've seen more often like you just get confused in your own sort of weird web. Does that make sense? Absolutely yeah. makes sense. 
the difference is though in code names after the game usually you can remember i totally meant this i can't believe you meant that but in mysterium mm. with so many players you totally don't remember when someone says why did you give me the yellow card with the woman walking across the bridge about to punch a teddy bear the answer is usually man i don't remember that was like 30 minutes ago i don't remember and i gave out so many other cards so that's one big difference and i guess that's the other i'm not going to say criticism because i kind of enjoyed it we were able to eat and just socialize and casually come up because it took a good five minutes at least for the ghost because we had more than one since we had so many players put down their cards so you could just totally hang out until those cards were distributed and then you can talk about it then go socialize and come back and socialize and come back while the ghosts are doing their thing that might have been part of it in my group i was playing with just three people like a ghost and two investigators or whatever and it was a really quiet environment we were staring each other down we were very silent the entire time like hmm this hmm that and so at the end it was very easy to retrace our steps and say this i was trying to get you to think of the yellow from this card and this i was trying to get you to think of you uh, know this object in this card so it might have to do with like, you know, the player. That makes sense. Makes sense. When I played it, what was really interesting, and I think, I don't know if you mentioned, but the ghost gets random cards to distribute. It's not like his, their hand is perfect in what they can provide people. And it was a short elevator ride. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so the thing I noticed in my game is uh, my friend who was sitting next to me, he would he would get a card pretty much instantly every round from the ghost. And we, they were so obvious. Like, I think he was like the policeman, the police guy did it in like the, you said your word, (laughs) the jail area and it was the gun or something. And so all three rounds, (laughs) he he got it instantly. The ghost, like without thinking, kind of handed the card and it was almost like, is it this obvious or is like over analyzing or overthinking it, but it it ended up being uh-huh. that the ghost just had the perfect card at the time for that player. And then I, my, my situation always seemed to be last and always seemed to be more abstract. And I thought like, I was like trying to use that against the, the guy sitting next to me being like, oh, no, I think you're, I think you're, I think it's too obvious. Like that can't be it. Like blah, blah, blah. And in, in retrospect, it was just because the ghost had terrible cards at the end, so I was always kind of getting the short end of the stick. Like, my situation wasn't as easy as the dude sitting next to me, um, which I think is cool and obviously can change and makes the game very social. There is one thing. The order in which the cards are handed out can imply something in of itself. I think ideally the way you're supposed to play, because you know me and not reading rule books, is I think the ghost is supposed to organize them all in their folders first and then hand them all out at the same time. Oh. But what ours definitely did was they'd get one and hand it to one person and keep going. And that was good for so many players because then we weren't all waiting. But obviously the first cards they handed out was like, well, this is the clearance. Because when they looked at all these cards, it was like, well, this one's obviously corresponds with this image so yeah i think the order in which they pass them out does make a difference it implies something i don't know if i would want to do the party game setting like you because i don't have a lot of game i i always i'm always in a situation that what you're gonna say oh i'm sorry keep going (laughs) i'm always in a situation with seven people and there's not a lot of games that like the main game that comes to mind that has seven players is bonanza which is a great game but there but mysterium was like really exciting for me because it was like oh yeah this is another game that plays really well with seven people and anything more than that, you're kind of going into the party uh, territory like Resistance or Werewolf or uh, Two Rooms and a Boom or something like that. It's a close one. You almost didn't remember what Two Rooms and a Boom was. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I was, I'm that, wondering if we can go to a whole podcast without mentioning two rooms in a pool. <laughs> well, that witch didn't make it a curse word. Maybe next Halloween. Yeah, but I just got my copy of Mysterium last week, so I'm very excited to play Oh, nice. Mysterium. I should pick it up. I've been meaning to. Something I've been really interested in recently is this game, Kingdom Death. Have you guys heard of this game? No, is it Halloween-themed? Let's talk about this. Uh, <laughs> it's not Halloween-themed. It was a Kickstarter. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter. It's uh, Kingdom Death. Uh, I think they plan to do multiple expansions. The first base game is called Kingdom Death Monster, I believe. Huge Kickstarter, and part of this new like wave of very well-funded minis, uh, games and I think it even ran for like months like like two or three month long Kickstarter campaign which I've never seen before but it's gorgeous and basically the the idea here is that it's an RPG with miniatures that sort of grows and evolves as you play it so as your characters get armor you get to put on the armor miniature onto your actual guy and so your character looks cooler and cooler maybe like you would have in Diablo or something like that but on a real miniature and it's gorgeous, great components, everything like that. But the biggest hit for me, of course, is the price point, which is four hundred dollars. Fudge, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a super lot, and I really want the game. But I keep thinking, like, I could buy a PlayStation Four, or I could buy <laughs> four other hit huge games like Imperial Assault. I could buy at least four times over for that price. Um, even I could even get a really good head start on like a Warhammer 40,000 army with that much money or pay and some I'm, bills or pay some bills or, you know, buy some drugs or whatever. So it's just I'm seeing this trend a lot recently. I'm curious if you guys are seeing it, too, of this inflation of uh, board game prices as Let me well. Let ask you a as, couple of questions. Oh, sorry. Yeah. As no. well as what I want to just ask you, uh, is it a campaign game that will last? A yes, long absolutely. Time? It's meant to be a campaign so like game. like Descent. Um, it's not like Descent. It's more open world than that. I think that um, there's a lot of options and a lot of different ways you could take it. It's not like you're constrained to one dungeon. But the whole point is sort of that you could keep playing this indefinitely. So like Descent in that it's campaign, but not like Descent in that it's restricted to just dungeon and dungeon crawling and that kind right, of thing. Right. Don't, I don't think it's just like three or four adventures. I think it's like a whole world and a system to go along with it. The way I think about it, I like to think about as my time as units of fun. And I usually use movies as the common denominator where a movie nowadays costs at least $10 typically. And it's about two hours long, which equates to like $5 an hour. So if I decide I'm going to have an entertaining night with my friends, if it's about $5 per person per hour or better, then it's golden. And that's why I love tabletop games because a lot of times – you get that almost instantly. Like Mysterium, mm -hmm. with using that equation, already paid for itself because we played with 12 people in just an hour and the game, well, where's my math? So I think that equates. Anyway. But, <laughs> that's uh, like, yeah, that's over 50 bucks, right? Like yeah. In Mysterium's, you, uh, yeah. So the big question is, would it hold up to that equation? Would it be worth the $400, the $500 per hour per player? I don't know. Well, can I ask? Um, my, my, I knew, I knew a lot about Kingdom Death just because uh, somebody I worked with backed it, and like every day he would like when there would be a new update, he'd have to turn around and tell me how excited he was and blah blah blah, and look at the the minis and what they're doing. And kind of in my mind, I was like, this game has to be like vaporware, like it's never going to exist. They're doing too much. Like you put four hundred dollars into something that probably is never going to come to market. And I think it was two years late two or three years late from the Kickstarter and he did eventually get it about two weeks ago. Nice. Um, but that's that. And, and I'm shocked. I'm, I'm very impressed that it showed up, 
but then my my the the thing that always kind of sat with me odd is is well okay it was a four hundred dollar game that doesn't mean it's good right it reminds me a lot of the perfect game I would have thought of not like me personally but like as a kid like oh it's like an RPG but it's got miniatures but you can customize the miniatures and it goes on forever um would have sounded like an amazing game to me as a kid but as a grown up I'm thinking. I'd need a dedicated group of people. I'd need to play it like an RPG. I'd need to have a campaign. One of us is going to shell out 400 bucks um, for this thing, and we have to play it for the next year to really get our money's worth out of it, um, which would be very difficult for me, especially when the buy-in for a lot of other RPGs is so much lower, even if you went and bought your own miniatures and everything. Yeah. Well, you originally asked what other games are the high-end games that we can think of it, or if we're seeing this trend. I, I mean... Let's think of some other games then that are really high end and expensive. Well, the one on my shelf is, not, and it's not really that expensive. Is Twilight Imperium? How I much think, is Twilight Imperium? I think it retails for ninety nine, but I got it like on a, I got it on a sale day, so I picked it up for fifty. That's not bad. But I haven't, I, I've had it for over a year, and I haven't even, I've, I've opened it to take the pieces out and to look at it and be like, oh, one day, one day I will play you. <laughs> but a hundred bucks is, I, I think, very expensive. Um. And then the other thing I got before you guys can talk is I have the I, I backed the Takenoko 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 Collector's Edition on Kickstarter, which I think was one hundred and twenty dollars. Um, and they they had production delays and everything, which is fine. I'm in no rush to get it, but I kind of know what that game is. I know how good it is. I know that I probably actually won't be playing it. I just kind of wanted it to want it. And I think that's mm-hmm. okay in an aspect of like, okay, like I have this really nice looking game, but here's the $30 version that we'll play. And um, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's becoming like a very collector oriented hobby in a lot of ways. Um, and I think we're seeing it on both ends. Like I feel like there's a push for party games to be cheaper and cheaper. Like, you know, 25 bucks, all this is is a deck of cards. You know, people are being very um, scrupulous. Is that the right word? With their components. They're, they're weighing like... Oh, this has, you know, 100 minis in it, so I'll pay 200 bucks for it. But if it only has a deck of cards in it, then it's only worth five, ten dollars um, And so we're seeing this weird separation of games that are worth the high price tag and games that are not. Um, but it's funny to me because the cheaper games, to me, and maybe it's just my group or Alan's group or whoever, hit the table more. I will get more use out of a copy of Spyfall or Werewolf or whatever than I will out of a game like... Um, Twilight Imperium. Twilight Imperium, yeah. <laughs> Or ogre, ogre, or ogre. How, how much is ogre? That's a great question. I'm gonna look that up right now. A- Alan, do you have any like expensive games sitting on your shelf? Yeah, the one that uh, I think of is the first hit by Cool Mini or Not, and that's the one with all of the Super Dungeon Explorer. Super Dungeon Explorer, yeah, yeah, Super Dungeon Explorer. Which I love the name. It has a whole bunch of minis, and that was a hundred dollars. And the huge draw is that collector's thing where you get all the minis and you want to play it and you get to build them. But once you build it, you start playing the game. You're like, eh, I, I enjoyed Hero Quest more or Hero Escape or a lot of those other mini games better. But yeah. Ogre is $200. Whoo! And that's definitely a game that I would love to just own just to have because it's it's almost like a cool feat. Like, I can't believe they did this, you know? Um <laughs> I mean, but, you definitely yeah. nailed it with the collector's thing because I think of my game collection as an art gallery. There's so mm-hmm. many stories to each of them, and I want Ogre just for the mere sake of having a game that's crate size is one. So when stores would order, how many come in your basic crate? 
one, one, <laughs> as opposed to like the usual 16 or something like that. I think you're absolutely right. Like I want to have that perfect game for every experience. I don't mind having a copy of Ogre if I'm never going to play it just to say, oh yeah, that's one of the best games in this genre. Um, and Kingdom Death is like that. It scratches that itch where it's like, you don't know about this game. Oh, I got to tell you about this game, but it's worth $400 or $295 in pre-order just to tell people about this crazy game. Yeah. I think I'm I'm starting to lean towards the opposite. Where prior to playing board games, I was super into video games, and I, I was like, I need I need a whole collection of X video game, or like I'm collecting, like look at how big, how many PlayStation Three games I have, and now I'm going back and trying to collect PlayStation Two games that line up with that. And at one point, <laughs> they all ended up in a tote, and then I just started either giving them away or selling them, or because I I just don't want physical stuff anymore, or I don't want it as much as I used to and when I started getting into board games I went from zero to 100 board games in less than a year nice. I was so addicted to the hobby and I, I wanted to play so many different things and I would say like 20 of those 100 never even got the shrink wrap off just because of time or people and now I'm to the point where I have this I have almost 200 games sitting against a wall because I don't even have bookshelves for them yet and a lot of them aren't open and a lot of them I've played once or twice and Kind of after the like the second playthrough, you know if if you want to go back to it or you, there's a game that's kind of similar but better. And now I kind of want to not get more, but like get less and make a more refined collection of like Curated. now I can tell a story about every game because right now I can't do that. And if a game's been on my shelf for over a year and I haven't played it, I'm probably not going to go back and play it at this point. No, I hear you. I'd rather have a lean collection of like these are my six favorite games to play and I would be down to play any of these games at any point in time rather than have like, I'm looking at five games right now with the shrink wrap on just right in front of me rather than saying like, Oh, do you want to play this deck building game or this deck building game or this deck building game? I'd rather just be like, here's star realms or here's the one that I like, you know? Right. I think in the last episode we referred to them as uh, emergency games, but I think essential games is probably what we're talking about now. Those games that you essentially want because you know, they'll hit the table time and time again i totally agree well that went up and down here uh, <laughs> alan played mysterium sean did you play anything else i know you brought up kingdom death but anything hit the table uh no i've spent a lot of time playing heroes of the storm this week okay <laughs> that's fair i brought a I, I just got back from minnesota recently and i brought a bunch of games including mysterium and codenames and spyfall and uh none of those hit the table just um didn't didn't have enough time in the day, but uh, I did sneak in um, a game of uh, Sushi Go, which I don't think we've talked about. Nice, I love Sushi Go. You're yeah, ready to get and, on the elevator. Uh, it would probably be a short elevator ride. That's I think, fine. But uh, let's try it. Uh, Sushi Go is a what did they call it? A deck? A hand set passing? collection? Drafting. That was the word I'm looking for. Uh, Sushi Go is a drafting game. So you'll if in a three player game you get uh, nine cards in your hand. Uh, nine different types of sushi, hopefully, and you pick one card, you place it in front of you, you pass your hand to the next person, you collect the hand from the person sitting next to you, and you guys all flip to see what you got, and you look at the next hand, and you play that card, and you pass that hand, and you get a new hand, and you do that for three whole rounds. A round ends when your hand is empty, and then the person with the most points, depending on what kind of sushi they have, uh, wins the game, and it's as simple as that. It is... A lot like Seven Wonders, if you've ever played Seven Wonders, except I think that it's simpler, cheaper, and better than Seven Wonders. I don't think it's just you that thinks that. 
Yeah. Well, that was that was a good elevator because you stopped at what I have is 50 seconds. So you still had 10 seconds left. With that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. Nice. It is so hard to teach Seven Wonders, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've I've got opinions about Seven Wonders, but you have to you have to have played them. the game for the first time to even know how it's going to score. Like it's all just groping around in the dark. Until the game over is over, and you're like, "Oh, that's how the point works." Oh, yeah. I see. <laughs> well, we're having a little bit of a longer podcast today. Um, maybe it's our Halloween, Halloween, our Halloween treat to you. But let's let's talk about your your gripes with Seven Wonders, Alan. It's really quick, and I get a lot of heat for this because I hate being that negative guy. But a lot of people love Seven Wonders, and I don't want to take that away from anyone. That being said, I played Seven Wonders three times. And I won every time I, I kind of crush it. And that doesn't matter because to me, I have no idea how I won because there's actually an equation that you have to follow. You don't know how many points you can kind of guess and you're interacting with the people to your left and right. and You're trying to pay attention, but there's so many things that go into it that at the end you have to fill out your little math sheet and that I've never seen it done quicker than five minutes. I know there's an app for that. That's great. I never got to use the app. And then it's like, oh, well, after all of our calculations, congratulations. Alan won. Like, oh, I did. Oh, okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's got that solitaire esque feel to where we're we're all competing against each other, um, and I feel like you could start to understand some sort of theories or whatever. But it's kind of like, and I'm going to take this into a weird realm that our listeners are going to hate right now. But I play fantasy football, and every week, everyone after the game's been played has a perfect reason for why the points went down the way they did. And it's totally different than the reason they, you know, played the players they played in the first place. And I feel like games like Seven Wonders have that where you could say, well, obviously I won because I did this and this and I knew this would happen. But it's totally different than what you were thinking when you went into it. It's just a crapshoot sometimes. Right. I, I hate revisionist history. It happens so much in social games like, oh, oh yeah. well, I totally could tell you were the spy or the whatever because of the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's really easy after the fact, but did you really <laughs> yeah, know that during the game? Yeah. yeah, I didn't hear you say anything during the game. Oh, yeah, I could tell that you were going to win because really because you were talking about how Sally was going to win. <laughs> Douche. Yeah, it happens all the time, yeah. So Seven Wonders, uh, going back to the, our, the start of our conversation, was like my, okay, we have seven people, let's play Seven Wonders kind of thing. And... For the majority, the, my, my play group did like it. Once we got through the first game, everyone was like, let's play that again because now we understand how it works. Right. Yeah. But, a better game with seven in the title is Seven Sevens by Jason Tagmeyer. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's a there's this weird, and I've played Seven Wonders with a bunch of different people, and I've played it probably uh, six or seven times. Um, there's this weird, like, let's rush to get this over kind of undertone to it. And I don't know if it's that like one person like makes their play instantly and now they're waiting on everyone else and you have one person at the other end of the table that's taking real long and you're trying not to look at their hand and they probably need help because they don't understand the rules. And there's just no easy way around that. Whereas I can lay out the whole rule set to Sushi Go within two or three minutes. Like here's your yellow sushi, here's your blue sushi, here's your red sushi. These are what the sushis do and here's the little cheat sheet on the back of the rule book if you ever forget and it's very very simple and it's very fun and there's no reason why you shouldn't have sushi go because i think it's like a ten dollar game it's super cheap yeah plus everyone during the game is screaming and having fun like oh you and sushi go you know it's one of these <laughs> things where you're passing you can get on 10.99 on amazon yeah and and there's the 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 funniest card i think is the pudding where 
most cards uh, score at the end of the round, and there's three rounds, but the pudding doesn't score until the end of the game. And the person with the most pudding gets a bonus six points, and the person with the least amount of pudding gets minus six points. And then it, just like in real life, it just in like in real life. And so every so after the the first the first round we played, I was the only one with pudding. I played it right away. No one else had pudding, so they moved it. And at the end of that round, somebody who was new was asking me about the pudding, and I just like re re explained what it did. And so we started round two, and we all flipped over our first card, and everyone played pudding. <laughs> And we all kind of laughed out loud because we understood now the importance of pudding. And uh, so then round we, we finished the round. Round three came and we all flipped over our first card. And again, it was all pudding. And it was like, son of a bitch. Because everyone was like, I thought I had enough pudding to catch up with you, Steve. Because I played the pudding the first round. <laughs> so it was just really, really funny. And it's just on that alone. Like if a game can make new people laugh right away, that's like an instant recommendation for me. And Sushi Go is never going to ruin your night. You know, it's in and out before you even realize that you've played a whole game. And so that's why it makes it, you know, into my collection is just like, yeah, we can play this. And if you don't like it, we'll be on to the next game by the time you decide to complain about it. Right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, I think that's that finishes our segment of Table Talk a little bit longer this week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, we had a topic in there as well. So it was <laughs> like, you know, Table Talk with the topic. It was with, fun. Table Talk with the topic with an appetizer. Yeah. Uh, let's move over to our second segment of the show, which is just, I don't, I don't know if we had a name for it, but we... Spooky games. Spooky games, yeah. Games you would play on Halloween or play for Halloween or remind you of just spookiness. Um, maybe games we're playing this weekend or games we've played in the past. I think we've already talked about Mysterium, but Mysterium really fits that list, in my opinion. Well... I, this weekend, have the event that I'm supposed to run at Ravenwood Castle, which is really exciting. I'm super nervous about it, too, but it's already sold out. There's uh, 50 people coming in to Ravenwood Castle, which is in southern Ohio. It's like three hours south of me, and they asked me to come host. So Tuesday Night Games is hosting Deathly Deals, an entire weekend of spooky-themed Halloween experiments, but they're all really just excuses for me to test out really high-player count social games. <laughs> so I'm really excited because I'm basically trying to do every spooky game that I could come up with or modify, so that includes, like, Thingy and Deathly Deals, which is I've never talked about Deathly Deals. It's trade secrets, Halloween themed. Uh, I went through monikers and I got all the monster cards that I would consider monsters, which is fun because like some of them's like Cherry, the chair character from Pee Wee Herman. Um, what else have I going on? Plenty of werewolf. One Night Werewolf, Ultimate Werewolf, uh, One Night Ultimate Vampire, which I just got. So they're going to be able to play these sub games. Uh, so it's really exciting. One of them is also Assassin, which I'm nervous about playing because I've never even played it before and I designed it and I have no idea how that game's going to go. So it's just an entire weekend of these really spooky games. But as far as games... Nice. Yeah, as far as games that people can play that are spooky themed, pretty much anything with the name Werewolf Vampire in it, I I would enjoy. Or I rethemed Two Rooms in a Boom to fit up to 50 players, and that's kind of interesting. And I called it Two Rooms and a Boom. <laughs> yeah, so I'll see how that goes as well. But uh, yeah, I think any game that fits that werewolf theme, vampire theme be pretty tight for halloween do you guys do you guys have a preference of werewolf do you 
I think the thing that frust- absolutely the thing that frustrates me at Gen Con is you only get vanilla werewolf, and I get it; it's fast, it's easy. But I kind of prefer uh, ultimate werewolf, where you get you get Cupid and um, you get like the hunter and stuff. I think it's more funny and more exciting. Oh yeah, across the board, ultimate werewolf to me is just the version of werewolf. Everything before that is like a prototype for ultimate werewolf to me. Yeah. You guys hear about the Kickstarter for Witch Hunt? I have. I've seen that. Yeah. It's Ultimate Werewolf. It's basically Ultimate Werewolf. But when you get eliminated, you still have things you can do. So you still have jobs. I think it's basically when you I haven't played it yet, to be fair. But from my understanding, when you get eliminated, then the people that survive can start being bodyguards where then they can vote on who can't be killed that night. So they still like open their eyes or whatever and choose someone. So it's interesting stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. This whole spooky game thing has been interesting to me because I've been sort of racking my brain since this summer. I think Alan can verify that on the way to the airport taking me home from Ohio. Um, I was asking him this question about I see a lot of spooky themed games like uh, Arkham Horror. Um, but I'm curious if there are games that are actually scary to play that you would be terrified to play, you know, with your friends as opposed to maybe tense to play or scary themed have you guys ever played a game that has actually been sort of scary to play or scary for your players scariest thing for me is when i'm the spy in Spyfall. yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that that probably is the most tense i've been in any kind of board game in a while oh yeah being the spy in Spyfall is a lot like just being caught for a crime and being interrogated (laughs) but i think uh... tension may be different than actually scared because i think that's a different feeling than when i'm going to a haunted house or when i was a kid home alone and there was a noise in the basement that's scary uh there's social fear which the game fred has done like i pulled a card and one of the things it dared me to do was to call my boss and congratulate him for doing a good job which is (laughs) which was petrifying because i'm thinking this could cost me my job i'm sorry i gotta lose this card i don't want to call my boss on a weekend evening <laughs> just say huh. hey i just wanted to call to say good work you're doing a great job i don't know man i would have really appreciated a call from you like that <laughs> <laughs> i had a really cool game of betrayal house on the hill where it was i think it was a week before halloween this was probably two years ago and i like changed the lights in our game room to like those are like red lights and oh, I had nice. like, a, like a candle or two lit, and everyone came over with the expectation of like, oh, we're playing like a spooky game for Halloween, and everyone was super into it, and like it wasn't like scary or anything, but it had a very like good Halloween like spooky vibe, and it was just very enjoyable. You had buy-in from the players. I feel yes. like if everybody agrees to say to to commit to that world, it could be a lot more fun than you know if everybody's sort of joking the whole time. Yeah. So I've been sort of scratching my head about this. I asked Chris Bryan from. Um, bored with life about it and what he thought about it. And we were talking, he was like, of course, yeah, definitely you can make a game that's like that. Um, that's scary to play. I asked my brother about it because uh, he's a big horror fan and we started talking about it. The The only thing I came up with was the Ouija board, which I'm sure has tons of controversial opinions, but it's a board game put out by like Milton Bradley or Parker Brothers or whoever. But I think there are plenty of people who would not play with a Ouija board because of, you know, what it's about and whether it really works or not. Um, the difference is the Ouija board doesn't brand itself as a game. Um, it's, you know, this fake tool for contacting the other side. It's an experience, not a exactly. game. Exactly. Maybe it's fake to you. 
yeah, maybe it's fake to you, but maybe it's not fake. Maybe you're messing around with something you shouldn't be doing. So, you know, my brother and I started looking up, like, what are some real scary games out there? And one that came up, which I think is pretty interesting, is called One Player Hide and Go Seek or Single Player Hide and Go Seek. And what you do is it's one person, you alone in your house. You open all the windows. You turn on the TV to the closest to white noise you can get it and turn it down really low. Then you take a doll. You go into the bathroom. You cut open the doll and take out the stuffing. And then you clip your fingernails and put it inside the doll and put the doll on the sink facing the mirror. Then you run to somewhere else in the house. You find not really a hiding spot, but a spot that you know, you're gonna go and count because you're gonna be it. And you count out loud from like 20 uh, or 100, you know, out loud, just as loud as you can, 100, 99, 98. And then at the end, ready or not, here I come. Now the game is not over until you find the doll. So you have to go throughout the house and sort of look around and then go back to that bathroom and see if the doll's still there. And what I like about it is you're kind of daring the universe to mess with you. You're just saying, all right, if you're going to do something weird, universe, now is the time. And I'm just going to subject myself to this intense situation um, all alone in order to find, you know, in order to scare myself, essentially. It yeah, would I wouldn't be do an that. Experience. That seems <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, it does seem terrifying. So the question is, do we just like put that on a card with a hundred other cards that give you other scary experiences and package that as a game? Um, because I feel like that, I, I mean, I would never do that in a million years. I won't even go into a bathroom and say Bloody Mary. There's no way I'm going to put fingernails into a doll and count down from a hundred. That actually really got me thinking about Tuesday night games in our company and the idea that we do want to make experiences more than games. It really boils down to the point, why are we even playing games? You can say for fun, but I mean, at the root, what's the fun? And I think with Two Rooms and a Boom, the fun is the bonding experience of team building and getting together and finding your teammates and working together and socializing. So after you're done, you have this very memorable evening. So I like the idea of games having that in mind. Absolutely. Now, there are plenty of games that are just fun, like camel up which i played i was like oh that was pretty solid that was a solid game but will i remember it the exactly what i probably won't even remember who won like two weeks from now but yeah so so interesting we gotta make a scary game (laughs) i'm a big believer in that i love i love that terms and a boom is a great convention experience i'd love to make it i'd love to have a booth that's like blacked out and you have to go in one at a time and be like all right here's our spooky game we're coming out with side story about alan by the way um (laughs) Alan grew up on this, you know, estate called, you know, that they call Hinkley House. And it's this big house and a lake and all these other things. It's perfect for campfire, spooky stories and all this sort of thing. But his brother and his dad tell these ghost stories about the house um, that they either are very convinced by or are mimicking that they're convinced by. But the first time I went over there, I was pretty scared about it. And I was like, Alan, I never hear you tell these ghost stories. Aren't you scared? And he was like, nah, not really. And I was like, what do you mean? I mean... Your brother and your father seem so convinced. And Alan sort of pulls me aside and almost like a confessional. He says, listen, man, you know what it never says on like a co- uh, autopsy report or a coroner's report, coroner's report? And I was like, what? He says, it never says cause of death, ghost. <laughs> <laughs> and it just cracked me up so much that I always go back to it. And obviously the, the response would be like, well, yeah, well, they wouldn't say that. It would just look like a heart attack or something. But every time I think cause of death, ghost. You know, and then maybe a question mark, cause of death, ghost. It cracks me up, and it definitely takes some fear away from me out of any tense situation. SBJ, let me ask you, 
Do you know who haunts that house? I do not know. You should, because it has to do with your freaking Twitter handle. <laughs> it's all, That's right. Why does this podcast always come back to my Twitter handle? Because <laughs> it's the most interesting thing we ever talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm not aware of, of the history there. Well, as we explained, I think it was at episode three we talked about your Twitter handle. Yeah. It's the kid that killed himself in our lake. So we have this five-acre lake, and a kid rode a boat to the middle of the lake and killed himself by the name of Bernard. Some people say I shouldn't even say his name because anytime I say his name, I invoke the spirit of Bernard. But I'm not at the Hinkle house, so sorry, Dad. <laughs> Bernard's coming tonight. It's <laughs> really cool. Well, I mean, not the kid killing himself, but the story. Yeah, it's a pretty terrifying story around like a fire in the middle of the night right next to the lake with like Alan's brother breaking down crying. <laughs> but, I, but I will say if you guys want to put out a spooky game, the name of the game should be Cause of Death Ghost. Oh, that's a perfect <laughs> title. Oh, SBJ, you're not getting any credit for that. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, the only other Halloween game that I kind of thought it was there was like a Halloween themed King of Tokyo, but it wasn't really that great. Didn't it just add one character or something like that? It like, added two that... characters and it added the uh, orange dice instead of the black dice. That was it. Is the orange die literally just orange instead of? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're exactly the same. They're just a different color palette. Was this like a giveaway at like Gen Con or could you get this? I feel no, like yeah, it, was, it was a legit expansion. Yeah, oh, it was okay. it was limited edition. So they, they made it seem like it was very hard to find. But it, literally, I'm sure you can go to Cool Stuff Inc. right now and and buy it like it never sold out. And it added SPJ's two characters. neighbor's dog has it. That's how common it is. <laughs> yeah, it had two characters that had orange dice. That was about it. I, I did. Pl- it wasn't it might have been last Halloween where a bunch of friends and I played it and it was just like, yep, it's just uh. King of Tokyo. You guys want to play Monopoly? <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't say it, I was. That's awesome. Um, let's uh, let's move on to interaction satisfaction. Howdy. It's time for interaction satisfaction. Shoot us your emails, your comments, or your questions. We'll do our best to answer them. Uh, if you guys ever have any feedback for us or any questions for the podcast, you can write in to uh, podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, that is the email. <laughs> I don't know why I question myself. Uh, yeah, so write in any questions of the podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Alan has some stuff. I have some stuff. I'll start off. I have one email here from Levi. Uh he or she writes in, says, Hey, SBJ, before I go into my comment, I want to give a little history. I first heard about Tuesday Night Games from It's Super Effective. I first heard about It's Super Effective on the board with Life Radio. So I've, <laughs> so really, I'm a listener because of Donald Schultz. Give him kudos, JK. Great show so far. <laughs> Joking. Give him kudos. Great show so far. I wanted, I just wanted to let you know because of your description of evolution, I ordered it about 10 minutes after listening to the podcast. Thank you for the suggestion, Levi. You're welcome. Yeah, evolution's a good game. All right, so you want mine? Here's, a, here's the mistake I made. I made the mistake of on Facebook. I said, hey, I'm about to record the podcast. Anyone want any feedback? And supposedly that was the invitation for everyone and SBJ's neighbor's pet dog to go ahead and say, give me a shout out. So I'm going to 
cut some of these out <laughs> because there's a lot, but I'm going to shotgun through these. You guys ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, here we go. Brian Kerrigan says, Fireball Island is the best. Plus one to Sean. He also says, Evolution is very anti-carnivore. I feel it's a major flaw in the game, but to be fair, I haven't played the second edition. So what edition did you play, SPJ? Do you know if it was the second edition, first edition? Uh, it was second edition, but I think he's referring to the expansion, which adds the flight. Gotcha. Um, Michael Ellick says, my big takeaway from episode five was that one of the car talk guys died. Evolution discussion, <laughs> having played it, looks like a huge cluster hump, but sounds cool. But the power grid discussion has me reconsidering trying the game. Those were like the most legitimate ones. Let me go on with the other ones that are here. Um, Andrew Burkett wants me to mention Groundhog's Dame Game Retreat, uh, January 29th to the 31st here in Hudson, Ohio. Uh, Eric Emily says, I want to shout out. There you go. James May Matthew <laughs> says, shout out Protospiel Madison. It's this weekend, but at the time of the recording, that's already over. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. James. Sorry, James. James Matthews is a good guy. Jeremiah Isley of uh, Theology of Games Thames says, I think you should have other podcasts or bloggers as guests. Winky face. That's him, I guess, saying that he wants us on the show. But Steve Avery says, shout me out, baby. I'll do the same for you guys. But then quickly, Peter Walken, the designer, said, they already shouted you out. And then Steve Avery says, Haha, I'm such a dumbass. I guess I owe you both one. Brent Albers. <laughs> Grant Alberts uh, is one of the leader guys of BOGA, which is Board Gamers of Greater Akron here in the Cleveland-Akron area. And he says, I don't know how much of your li listener base is in the Akron area, but you could always plug BOGA. So there you go, BOGA. Uh, it's good. It's a good place to go and meet up people. But anyways, Liz Henderson says, never give up on your dreams, guys. <laughs> Thanks, uh, finally the support i needed yeah so i was sweet. just about to give up thanks Liz. our friend uh our friend and head booth monkey don stroud who also has his own podcast um drink spin run texted me the other day and was like i love you guys podcast but you're all so excited it's sickening <laughs> um, and he said also i'm getting tired of listening to it because you guys never ever mention me and i was like we mention you in every episode and he's like no you don't and i was like you just gotta listen through to the end man that's where you get mentioned the most <laughs> i mean <laughs> I don't think we're that positive. We were pretty negative on Seven Wonders. I think it just means our general tone of being excited about life oh. and to be alive. None of us have the attitude of like, hey, guys. Hey, why am I here? Let's do this. Just, uh, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Down Stroud says, please talk about me more. <laughs> uh, and then Donald Schultz of Board of Life fame says, talk about me more. <laughs> okay, Donald. Uh, uh Speaking of like Donald or um, having guests on the podcast, uh, I'd if, love to have Donald on. Yeah, if if you want Donald on, tweet not Don, at, screw that guy. If <laughs> if you want him on, tweet at him and then tag us. Uh, what's what's the Twitter handle we use? Uh, Two's Night Games. T u s e s k n i g h t g a m e s. Is that right? Oh God, yeah. no one's ever gonna tweet us. I know it was hard. But go on. So if, if you want any guests on, like Donald or somebody else, uh, tweet at that guest uh, using their Twitter handle and then use our Twitter handle as well just so we, we can start compiling a list to get to get guests on if you want like 
people who design board games or people who review board games or Donald. Um, <laughs> those are your three categories. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and, and tweet at us. That makes it kind of easy for us to start organizing future shows for you guys. I got three more worth mentioning, then we'll get out of here. This is actually more fun than I thought it would be. So this is cool. Uh, Eric Portney, which is a super sweet guy that got me a ticket for PAX because he wanted me to run Two Rooms in a Boom at PAX Prime. So thanks, Eric. But he says, how about a shout out to the PAX Australia Enforcer volunteers who will have a copy of Two Rooms in a Boom in the show library next week and plan to run some game of it for the attendees. Hey, thanks, guys. That's awesome. We're going to be in PAX Australia. I mean, two rooms. Don't and embarrass us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't screw up running that. Um, but here's a legit question from Micah Jacobson. It says, I was contemplating buying Smash Up. Have you all played it? If so, is it good? And yes, he said y'all. So maybe he's from your name. I hate that game. That game feels like it should be about ninjas fighting uh, aliens. And instead, it feels like subtracting numbers from another number. Couldn't agree more. I was super excited. I love that you got the shuffle up. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to have dinosaurs and I'm going to have pirates, pirate dinosaurs, three plus four minus two. And now I have this base almost complete. Not quite yet. <laughs> this doesn't feel like pirate dinosaurs. Uh, I, have a, I have a love hate relationship with Smash Up. Um, it came out when I was like, and how much I hate it. <laughs> ending my my pokemon tcg kind of thing so it was cool because it was another uh card deck uh management hand management kind of game um and it, it it's good for that it's it's quick it's easy to teach um the calculating the bases is probably the worst part of the game and that's like how you win the game that is the game yeah um but like <laughs> Uh, it's 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 hard to sell. I I would suggest that if you were interested in it, the only thing you would ever need to buy is the base set. Like the expansions don't add anything more to it. Like yeah, it adds more combinations, but if you don't like the the base counting mechanics and you can't get a group to play, like don't do what I did and get like the base game and start getting expansions before like you really dove <laughs> headfirst into it. I mean, it's not regrettable. Like it's it's fine. It's yeah, uh, it as like if you if it's usually on sale for like 20 bucks on like Amazon or stuff and I think that's a good price but I wouldn't pay anything more than that because I don't think it's worth more than like an hour or 2 hours of time but you can definitely get fun out of it. Yeah, it's not too harmful of a game. It's just disappointing for me when I was going into it thinking, "Oh man, this sounds awesome and I had high expectations because the theme sounds so cool." But then when you play it and realize that the sales pitch is as follows, do you want to play Smash Up? Do you like basic addition and subtraction? So that was the disappointing part. So, uh, yeah. It's like uh, going on a blind date with somebody and it's going really well and it turns out they're just kind of racist. And you're like, ah, this was, uh, this was fun. <laughs> I, I might be biased to Smash Up too because I did play with the creator of Smash Up at Gen Con two years ago, which was kind of cool. What's the creator's name? Uh, gotcha. I know. I know he made guillotine when under Wizards of the Coast. You know that. Oh, he made guillotine. I love that game. Yeah, yeah, he did. Awesome. Paul Peterson. Yes, Paul Peterson. Good old Paul Peterson. Uh, he's a really nice guy. He is. He's a good guy. Uh, last but not least, Jr. Honeycutt says, "Dude, I want to join you guys sometime." And then John Froin, John Ferone, who's Mike Ferone's brother 
and Mike Frone is like our oldest childhood friend. Got so many Mike Frone stories for you. Most interesting of which is he's my brother's best friend, and my brother met him by telling Mike Frone in third grade that he had a pocket full of M&Ms. Goes up to Michael, Fr Michael Frone says, you want some M&Ms? Third grade, Mike Frone says, yeah, I'd love some. Well, they're in my pocket. You have to go get them. And realistically, my brother wasn't wearing any underwear and the pocket was cut out of his pants. And they became best friends. But John Frone, Mike Frone's older brother, says, God. please tell the internet thing how awesome I am. Sure, John, you're awesome. That might have been the, the scariest thing you've said all episode. Well, it is Halloween. And that's all I got. So a whole bunch. I probably won't be doing this again with so many comments, but that was cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, if you guys have comments or questions or stories uh please email us at podcast at tuesdaynightgames.com and we can read those off in a future episode uh other than that that kind of wraps up our show for you guys hope you liked the hour edition that we put on um most episodes are around 30 to 40 minutes but we decided to go a little bit longer this week as a as a treat for you all or an indulgence if you will <laughs> dun 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 the <laughs> The last thing I have is that we are giving away a copy of Two Rooms and a Boom uh, if you review us in iTunes by the end of the month. So anyone who reviews us in iTunes, uh, they will be entered into the contest. And then on a future episode, we are going to read that uh, the winner off and then get your information and then send you a copy of Two Rooms and a Boom. And maybe we'll do something else in the future like that. But for everyone who has left us a review so far, thank you. It means a lot to us. Your reviews in iTunes helps other people find the show easier. So... Uh, much, much appreciated. And uh, I think Every that's... Every star you give us is one more submission. So increase your chances. If that's true or not, I don't know. But <laughs> that's what I want you to believe. Um, do you guys have anything else? Take that as a no. Uh, no, I think that... Hey, happy Halloween, everyone. I'm going to be the bad professor. What are you dressing up for Halloween, Sean? I always say Speed Racer, and then I never do anything. What about you, SVJ? Uh, mm, nothing. You're wearing nothing? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a safe bet, really. Going nude? Hopefully that witch's curse doesn't affect With you. With his body, it's definitely nude. a safe bet. Yeah. It is. It, it is. would be insulting if I went as anything else. If I could wear <laughs> SVJ as a costume, I totally would. <laughs> Sean, where can they find you? At Sean McCoy, S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. And Alan, where can our listeners find you? At Alan Girding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-D-I-N-G. -E -G. Awesome. You can follow me on Twitter. It is at Dragging a Lake. Otherwise, mm. this has been our episode of the Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday Night Podcast. <laughs> My curse hits you once more, SBJ. And we are... Finished! <laughs> Thank you.